Well, let's go ahead and dive into today's message. And, and, and let's dive in, if you don't mind, with me asking you a question as we get started. Which is easier for you to do? Is it easier for you to give help or to ask for help? Is it easier for you to give help or to ask for help? Think about that real quick. What's easier for you to do, to give help or to ask for help? And, and, and I really am serious about this. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. If you're watching on Facebook, I would love for you to leave a comment and let me know. And, and you can just simply say give or ask, right? Give or ask. Give for help. Give help or ask for help. Give or ask. So I can see just kind of as the comments are coming up, I can see kind of where our people are. Is it easier to give help or to ask for help? Because I, I think, here, here's my hunch. My hunch is that for some reason it is, well, for various reasons, I think, it's easier for us to give help than it is to ask for help. And, and, and here's why. I think giving help makes us feel really good, right? And, and it does. If you've ever helped somebody, it makes us feel really good. And there's some, some reasons, I think, behind that, behind, uh, behind just, the, just the simple um, uh, sincerity of, of, of charity and helping people. I think sometimes giving help also makes us feel sometimes a little too good about ourselves. Like we've got it all together, or at least we have it more together than the person that's asking for help. Sometimes it makes us feel like we're still in control. And the reason I know that is because I know what asking for help can feel like. Asking for help can sometimes make me feel like I'm a failure. Sometimes it can make us feel like uh, asking for help just has a lot of shame attached to it. Now, and I think there's there's even reasons why we do that in Christian circles, right? Like if you're if you've been in for in, in the church for a while, you've heard these stories of, of faithful people of old who didn't let anybody know about their needs. They just prayed, and God answered those needs, right? I, I think of this guy named George Mueller, uh, who in, in the in the 1800s. He was in charge of a of an orphanage, and that orphanage had 300 kids in it. And, and he was a great man of prayer. And one day the housekeeper came to him and the kids were all dressed and ready to go to school. And it was time for breakfast, 300 of them. Can you imagine getting 300 kids dressed and ready for school? Well, they were dressed and ready to go to school. And the housekeeper came and informed George that they didn't have any food to feed the kids breakfast. Well, what George did is he said, go ahead and welcome the kids into the dining hall. And I'll pray and thank God for the food that they're going to eat. There wasn't any. But that's what he did. He didn't let the kids know that there was a need. He didn't let any of the other uh, uh, workers in the school know that there was a need. He just stood up and thanked God for the food uh, that they were about to eat. And sure enough, there was a knock at the door. And somebody went and opened the door, and it was the baker from the city, for the little town. And he had been prompted by the Holy Spirit the night before to make extra bread for the orphanage and was delivering it just in time for breakfast. So he brings the bread in, and sure enough, there's another knock at the door. And it's the guy who's the milkman for the village, and his cart has just broken down in front of the orphanage. And so he has all this milk on his cart, and he knows that if he doesn't uh, find some place to give it away, at least, it's going to go bad, and it's going to be wasted. So he brings all this milk to the orphanage and says, hey, could you use this? If not, it's going to go bad. Well, sure enough, now these kids have bread and milk for breakfast, and they eat, and they go off to school, and boom, God provided for their needs. You see, we hear stories like this, and we pray. 
right? We pray and we pray and we beg God to meet our need, but sometimes a broken cart doesn't show up, does it? Well, we need to know stories of guys like D.L. Moody as well. Now, D.L. Moody, he was known for letting his needs known and the needs of the organizations that he was running known. He was, he was also this very godly, faithful man uh, and, and this great leader. And, and, and it was known that if you got within 20 feet of D.L. Moody, he was going to be asking you what disposable income you had. And he was going to be telling you what you could do with your money to meet needs that he had and to meet needs that his organization had. As a matter of fact, he was known for letting people know that you're the only person who can meet those needs. He wasn't ashamed to ask for help at all. You see, church, we like stories like George Mueller's, don't we? We, we, we? we like those stories. We like those examples a whole lot more than we like D.L. Moody's, don't we? And here's why I think this is true, at least this is why I think it's true for me, is that my need exposes me, right? My need exposes me. When, when I let you know about my needs, it shows you where I'm weak. There was one time Stacy was taking a, a work trip, and, and when I say one time, this was, you know, pre-COVID, she was taking this work trip, and, and she had left, and I felt this temptation beginning to rise in me. This temptation to look at things that I don't need to look at, and in particular, to watch movies that I wouldn't watch with her sitting right next to me. And so as this temptation began to rise, I, I, I knew I could have done one of two things. I could have done what I've done in the past, where I just kind of uh, hunker down and, and, and push through it. And oftentimes, that's not the most successful way. Or I could ask for help. And so I chose the second way. I chose to ask for help, and I gave Josh Montgomery a call. And I told him, I said, man, listen, Stacy's going out of town. I feel this temptation rising in me. And I said, I just want you to know that this temptation is here. And I want you to ask me when she gets back in town if I looked at anything I shouldn't do. Now, in that moment, I felt incredibly vulnerable, so vulnerable that I almost didn't call Josh. Because here's what I was thinking. This was the first time that I asked him for help in this way. And in doing that, it made me wonder, gosh, is he going to think this is a huge problem in my life? Because it's not. But if I say it's not, then it looks like I'm being defensive. And, you know, and your mind just goes through all this stuff. You know, I kept thinking, what would he think about me? You know, I, I kept, I'm even thinking, what are you thinking about me as you, as you hear me even talk about this? Right now, you know, like in that moment, I knew I needed help, but here's what his response was, because it was beautiful. He just said, hey, man, no problem. I sure will. Thanks for letting me know. Now, here's the other beautiful part of that. Not only was his, his comment to me, not only did it have no judgment, no shame. If anything, there was a, a lot of understanding in, in what he said. But here's what happened. In just telling him that that temptation was there, the temptation was gone. Like at any high time Stacy was gone, it wasn't even an issue because I had reached out for help and that kind of disarmed the power of that temptation. You see, church, your need does expose you. Let's be honest, it does. Like asking for clarity exposes the fact that you don't understand, right? Asking for help means that you can't do the work alone. Asking for help is hard, but y'all, this isn't this isn't all we need to know about asking for help, right? If I left it here, this would be an awful sermon, wouldn't it? But there is something better. 
Because you see, church, we know something about asking for help that I think those uh, who aren't in church, those who aren't following God, that they may not know. And that's what we're going to see today in Ruth. We're going to be in Ruth chapter 3. We're going to cover the whole chapter, verses 1 through 18. And, and um, as you're turning there, let me remind you where we are in this series that we're calling Pause as we look through the book of Ruth. You see, Ruth and her mother, Naomi, uh, have just come back to Israel. And both of them, Ruth and Naomi, lost their husbands before they come back. Naomi lost uh, not only her husband, but she lost her, her sons, which her, one of her sons was Ruth, Ruth's husband. But we get introduced to this guy named Boaz in the book of Ruth. And Ruth has been working in his field, and she's come home to Naomi and has all this food to show just for one day's work. You see, these two women had lots of needs going on. But today, we're going to see them make one particular need known. And as they do, here's what we're going to glean. Get my Ruth, uh, my, my, my Ruth plug there. What we're going to glean is how do we make our needs known. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. But here's what else we're going to talk about. In this process, we're going to see something unique to those who are like Ruth and those who have said, your God is my God. And so let's dive into to verse 1 and see. Let's see what this, what this uh, specific in, in, in need is for Ruth. Ruth chapter 3 verse 1 says this. It says, One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try and find a home for you where you will be well provided for? And so here's the need. Naomi says that she's seeking a home. If you have an ESV, it says that she's seeking rest for Ruth. Now, what she's referring to is she's referring to marriage for Ruth. Because here's what happens. You see, if Ruth has a husband, Naomi has grandbabies, right? For those of you who have grandbabies, you know what a joy they are. But in particular, for Ruth and Naomi, these grandbabies were very important. Because for Naomi, it meant that, that these grandbabies would carry on the family name, right? And in carrying on the family name, they would, they would carry on the responsibility of caring for the land that they own. But in this very first verse, we see our first step in, in asking for help, and it's this. It's identifying the need. You see, to ask for help, y'all, it's important to know what your need is. And when I say what your need is, I mean, what is the real need? Sometimes what is the need behind the need that needs help, right? What do you really need help with kids? Maybe you're finding it really hard to do schoolwork right now, like particularly math whether you're in person or virtual or homeschooled or whatever. And maybe sometimes it's hard to ask for help because you're not really sure what's going on. Maybe, maybe the help that you need is that you don't understand anything your math teacher has been talking about. Like you are just lost. I've been there. Or maybe you understand the concept, but there's just one problem that you can't wrap your head around. There's one problem that you just can't figure out the answer. Well, that's what you ask for help for. You ask for help for what the need is. Or teenagers, you know, maybe you are in this situation where you want to go out with your friends, but you also kind of don't want to go out with them, right? Because maybe there's this, this, this person that's going to be out with them that you're just trying to avoid. Maybe there's, there's a tricky situation and you don't know how to handle it. Maybe you need help navigating the boundaries of relationships, or, or maybe there's this just this complicated relationship. That's what you ask for help with. You ask for help on how to deal with that stuff. Adults, 
do you need money to pay bills or do you need someone to help you and hold you accountable to living on a budget? You see, identifying the need is the first step in asking for help. Well, Naomi knew Ruth needed to marry to carry on the family name. Look at, look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Now, this word kinsman, or this word relative, is something that I said a couple of weeks ago that we would talk through. Remember, I said, let's just stick a pin in it because I'll, I'll explain it. Well, this is the time to explain it. See, in Israel, uh, in ancient Israel, there were these laws called the Leverite laws. And, and, and basically what it said is it helped the nation of Israel protect their land and, and protect families' names. Because if a woman married into a family, she had a husband, the 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 land stayed with the husband. Well, if the husband died and they didn't have kids and she remarried outside the family, that would put the land for that family in jeopardy because it would go with the new husband. And so, so what this law said is that, that if a woman died uh, and, didn't, and didn't have any kids to, to become heirs for the land, then it was the responsibility of the relatives of that husband who passed away to marry her to continue the, the family line. So whether it's a brother or an uncle, if he was if they were able to marry her, they would they would do that. And all of it was to to protect land and to protect family name. Well Boaz is this is this near relative of Naomi. He's a kinsman redeemer. So the kinsman is the near relative. Redeemer means that they're the person that could redeem the land and keep it in the family name and not be lost. Now, it doesn't hurt that this guy is a great guy, too, from, from what we've seen. Well, look at verse 2. The rest of verse 2, it says this. It says, Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, see, here's the next step in asking for help. Not only is there a need, but there's an opportunity to say that need out loud. There's an opportunity to speak that need. Because you see, this is the next thing we need to know about making needs known. Not only do you identify the need, the real need, you also identify an opportunity to speak that need. You identify an opportunity. Now, Naomi sees this opportunity opportunity for Ruth to let Boaz know that, um, that he can redeem her by honoring this law of the Leverite marriage. And Naomi knows the time and the place where Boaz is going to be. And she knows that this is a good opportunity to let the need be known. Now, kids, can I tell you the worst opportunity to let your needs known to your parents? The worst opportunity, the worst time, the worst place is in the kitchen while dinner's being cooked. Parents, can I get an amen on that? If the pot is boiling and the oven is open, do not come in asking for help. Let me tell you the best time to ask for help. The best time to ask for help is right after they've had their second cup of coffee or first cup of coffee if they're only one cup of morning people. A friend of mine told me that his mom had a coffee mug and on the coffee mug, the outside of it, it said, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. And when she took that last sip on the bottom, it said, now you may ask. And he says he remembers being a kid standing right beside her chair, just waiting, which I think would be incredibly annoying. So I'm not advocating the purchase of this mug, but he would just stand there waiting for her to take that last sip where it said, now you may ask, and then he would ask a question. That's the best time to ask, though, is after they've had their second cup of coffee. And see, this is what an opportunity is. An opportunity is a good time and a good place. Now, notice I said not perfect. 
I can't tell you how many opportunities have been wasted waiting for a perfect opportunity. Because here's the deal. If you're waiting for a perfect opportunity to let your need be known, you will never do it, right? Anybody wait for the perfect opportunity to have that conversation you need to have and it never happens? You see, here's what I want us to do, church. We look for a good enough opportunity and a good enough time, and that's when we let our need be known. A good enough opportunity, a good enough time, a good enough place, that's where we let our need be known. Well, let's see what this plan is for this opportunity that that has arisen that Naomi has done. Verse 3, that Naomi has identified. Verse 3, Naomi says this. She says, wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying. And then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now Ruth says, I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. Now this little bit of scripture has had quite a bit of ink spilled over it, particularly with the term, what does it mean to uncover his feet? Because that word else is used elsewhere in the Bible to uncover more than feet, right? And and so the question is, is this plan that Naomi is concocting for Ruth, is it putting Ruth in a a questionable place, an an immoral place? Is she overstepping her bounds? Well, y'all, here's what we have to understand about our Bible. And here's what we have to understand about studying our Bible, is that we can't look at this book through modern eyes. We can't look at this book through, you know, 2020 eyes. We have to look at this book as they understood this book. And, and, and for example, like you can't take that and extract it today. You can't, you can't ask somebody to marry you. You can't do a proposal or a promposal by uncovering someone's feet, right? Like you can't take off someone's shoes and just look at them and be like, is that a yes or a no, right? Because your answer is going to immediately be no because that's weird, right? But in this time, we have to let the Bible tell us what we don't understand about the Bible, right? And here we see that whatever it was that Naomi instructed Ruth to do, and I personally believe it meant just uncover his feet, and we'll see why in a minute. But whatever Naomi told Ruth to do, it was acceptable because nowhere in the Bible is Naomi's plan or Ruth's character considered anything but noble and good. And so what Ruth is, the plan is for Ruth to get all dressed up and go at the right time in the right environment to the right place to let her need be known. And in doing this, we see something that we have to understand about a good enough opportunity. And it's this, that we must respond to the opportunity. We must respond to the opportunity that God gives. Listen, my dad had this saying, he would say, you don't lean on a shovel and pray for a ditch. Anybody heard that before? You don't lean on a shovel and pray for a ditch. You see, our God is a God who wants us to respond to the opportunities that he gives us, right? Let me say that again. Our God is a God who wants us to respond to the opportunity that he gives us. In God's economy, there is this great power and this great peace when we understand and operate in both his sovereignty and our choice. And what I mean by that, there is this power and peace when we understand that God really does orchestrate all the events of human history, including elections, by the way. And there's this power and peace when we understand that he orchestrates and controls all events, and we have a responsibility 
and a choice to respond to what he's doing in the world. When, 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 when we work with God's sovereignty and our choice together, there is this great power and this great peace. And so church, when the opportunity, the good enough time, the good enough place presents itself and that's good enough, we have got to respond to that because God is working in that. And so let me ask you this. Is there something needing your response right now, right? Like, like, like there's a good enough time. There's a good enough place. You've been praying and praying and praying and praying, and God hasn't done anything, which might mean that he's asking you now to respond to the opportunity that he's giving you. And so is there something that, that you know and you felt this prompting in your spirit that it is time to do and you haven't done it? You've prayed, but is it now is it time to move? And if so, let me encourage you to take that step. Now, y'all, I'm assuming that that step lines up with biblical, biblical principles. If it doesn't, then God hasn't answered that question because the answer is no. If, it's, if you can't find the freedom to do it in scriptures, you're not free to do it. But if there is freedom, according to the Bible, to do it, maybe now is the time to move. Maybe now is the time to pull the trigger. If so, then do this. In verse 6, it says this. Um, it says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over and lay down at the far end of the pile of grain, at the grain pile. Uh, Ruth approached quietly, uncovering his feet and lying down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. That's why I think she uncovered his feet, because that's where she was. And who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. And here, what she's doing is she's at basically asking Boaz to marry her. She's basically saying, you're the kinsman redeemer. I have a need. You can meet that need. And in this moment, all this planning has happened, right? Ruth has taken all the steps that Naomi lays out, but she has no idea how Boaz is going to respond. Right Now, we've seen his character up to this point, and it's good. And she has just asked him to marry her. Now, keep in mind, if that feels a little scandalous to you, remember, we let the Bible tell us what we don't understand about the Bible. The Bible never condemns her for doing this. As a matter of fact, uh, in the Old Testament, where it talks about the, the Leverite marriage, um, the, in, in Leviticus, uh, no, in Deuteronomy 25, where it talks about it, um, uh, it gives the woman the right to do the asking. So all she's doing is fulfilling the word of God. You know, she's, she, she, she's not out of bounds on this. And she's followed the plan, but here's what she's got to do in this moment where she's put her need out there. She's taken the opportunity. Now she has to trust the process, right? Ruth has done what Naomi's asked her to do, all that she's wanted her to do, and now she has to trust the process. Here's what she has to trust. She has to trust Boaz's character in doing this. She has to trust Naomi's understanding of how Israel works. Remember, Ruth wasn't from Israel. And she's been with Naomi for, for probably 10 plus years now. But she probably doesn't know all the ins and outs of how the, the, the Old Testament law works and how Israel works. And so she has to trust Naomi's understanding of that. And then she has to trust, too, just, just how Boaz is going gonna, is gonna to respond. 
And so when you've identified the need, like the real need, and you've seized this opportunity that God has provided to make your need known, you have to trust the process. Now, y'all, this is the hardest part. You know, going back to my dad's statement of, of um, you know, you don't lean on a shovel and pray for a ditch. It's in that time of waiting and trusting the process that I will have prayed and I will have used the shovel and I would have dug you know, I would have dug the hole, but then that is when I throw the shovel down and continue digging like with my fingernails, right? Like anybody else do that, like that waiting is hard. And so that's when I start doing the work myself instead of trusting the process. Anybody struggle with that too? If so, you know it's exhausting, but there is a better way. And y'all, I think this is the secret to trusting the process. This is the secret uh, to, to allowing us to even ask and speak our needs when we need them. And it's in verse 10. Let's keep reading. It says, it says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. So this is Boaz talking. And he says, the ki- this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. In other words, taking care of Naomi. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a near kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. And I'll explain that in just a minute. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, good. Let him redeem But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And so here we see the secret, and it's this. We not only trust the process, we trust the Lord. Right? Because here's what happens. Boaz says, yes, I will do this. Yes, I accept your offer of marriage. But it's complicated. And here's why it's complicated. Even though he is a close relative, there is still a closer relative to him. Now we'll see how this plays out next week in our message. But the point here is this. Boaz acknowledges something. He says, yes, this is what I want to do. But God might have something else in plan. Because he's banking what's going to happen next on the fact that he serves a living God. As surely as God lives, I will do it. If the other guy wants to redeem you, great. But if he doesn't and he's not able to, then I will do that as surely as God lives. That's what Boaz is doing. He acknowledges that this is going to work out exactly how God wants it to work out. And he banks that that the outcome of this relationship is based on the fact that God is alive and working. And no matter how it works out, God is the center of that. Now, maybe some of you need to hear that in response to, to the elections. As I'm, re- I, I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon, and we still don't know. And maybe by Sunday we'll know, maybe we won't. But no matter how it turns out, some of us are going to be disappointed. Those of us who are disappointed, do we need to know that God is still in control, that this is working out exactly how God wants it, because this is what Boaz does. You see, the key to trusting the process is to trusting the Lord over the process. You see, God is over this whole thing anyway. And, and if you have a need and you've seen this good enough opportunity and, and a good enough time and a good enough place and, and you've identified the need and you respond to the opportunity, you can trust the outcome to God. Now, that is our secret sauce here in the church, is that we can trust our outcome to God. Now, here's the part those outside of a relationship with God may not understand, that yes, your needs expose you, but 
your need does not define you. Yes, your need exposes you, but that need does not define you. You see, who we are isn't based on what we need any more than it's based on what we have. Who we are, our identity, what defines you and what defines me is based on what Jesus did. Our identity and how we see ourselves as worthy and loved is because we have a God who sees us as worthy and loved enough to send his son to, to die on a cross for us. And that resurrection proved that he is who he says he is. And so when you say yes to Jesus and his offer of salvation to pay for the power and penalty of your sin, God sees you as he sees his son, holy and loved. And see, that's where our identity is. This means that we don't have to worry about what people think about our needs. We don't have to worry about what people think about us when we express our needs. That we get to rest in how God sees us. You get to rest in how God sees you because God, because of Jesus, sees you as holy and loved and precious. Now, if you've said yes to Jesus, let me ask you this. Does your need ever overwhelm you? Right? When you get to the end of the calendar month and you've got more month and you've got money, does that overwhelm you? Right? Well, perhaps, no matter what your need is, perhaps if your need overwhelms you, you might be letting that need define you. Now, y'all, we are a people who have said yes to Jesus. And so we can be a people that ask each other for help without it defining who we are. You see, this was the quality of the early church. In the book of Acts, uh, it was said that they shared what they had in common. If someone had something in need, those that had extra shared that. And, and they went back and forth so that nobody was without need. And, 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 and why did they do this? Because they knew that Jesus defined them, not their need. And so if you have a need today, what I want you to do is I want you to let us know. Email us at prayer at fellowshipashville.com. And if it's something we can pray for, we will pray for it. And if it's something else, let us know because we want to help you meet that need. We want to see what God does. If you're waiting for the perfect opportunity, this is as perfect as it's going to get, right? This is a good enough time and it's a good enough place. Pull the trigger and send the email. Let us know how we can be praying for you. And we've got a team of faithful people that will pray for you. But if there's something tangible that we can do, let us know that too, because we've got a, a group of people that would love to help meet those needs. Well, let's keep going because we need to finish up. Um, it, it, after you trust the Lord, what do you do next? Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this. It says, So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be, before anyone could be recognized. And he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And so here's what he's doing. Boaz doesn't want people to gossip about Ruth, right? Because she's not really supposed to be there. At least she wasn't there when everybody went to sleep. And if she's there when everybody wakes up, it'll cause questions and gossip. And so he wants her uh, to, to not be exposed to that gossip. He protects her. Look at what else he does. Verse 15, he also said, bring me the shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. And when she did so, he poured into six, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went back to town. And when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done from her, and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You see, Boaz was again being generous. He provides. Remember, like we saw a couple of weeks ago, he goes all extra for her. Look at verse 18. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter. 
until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. You see, Boaz is now responding to this opportunity, right? Boaz is responding, and he's willing to do the work for her rest. Remember, that's what Naomi said, that, that he, Naomi wanted to find a home for Ruth. She wanted to find rest for her. And Boaz is willing to do the work to meet that need. Now, we see here is this final aspect to making a need known, and it's this. It is to finish well. You see, Boaz is willing to do the work for Ruth's rest, and really even for Naomi's rest, too. And for you, sometimes needs can seem overwhelming. And I get it. Listen, some of you are facing job loss right now. Some of you are going through divorce right now. Some of you are dealing with grief. You're dealing with declining health. You've got these physical illnesses that aren't even COVID, but that's just to name a few of stuff that's going on. Students, teachers, listen, my heart goes out to y'all. Y'all have gone from in-person to virtual uh, to homeschooling, back to virtual, back to in-person. And right now, the future might even seem unclear. And all of this can seem overwhelming. To you, I want to share hope as we shut down today. Because just like Ruth had Boaz working for her rest, you too have someone working for your rest. You too have someone working for your need to be met, working for your, for your rest, working for your healing, working for your provision, working for your protection, working for your peace. And y'all, his name is Jesus. Right? He has finished well. His death, burial, and resurrection. Right? And he has finished well so you can finish well. Because through Jesus, we have this relationship with God that, that our need doesn't define us. And you can continue to trust and hope, even in the midst of needs that may seem overwhelming. Because Jesus is worthy of our trust. And so let me leave you with two questions to consider today. What need do you need to make known? And two, who needs to know about your need? Let today be the, the good enough opportunity to speak that need and trust the Lord in it. Let me pray for you. And then right after this on Facebook Live, I would love for you to join us for communion because we're going to take communion together today. So let me pray. Jesus, we all have these needs, uh, needs that only you can meet. And I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would, you would give us the, the, the boldness um, to see what the real need is in our lives, to own that, and, and then to reach out and, and seek help to get that need met, that real need met. And in the process, Father, I pray that we would trust in you and that you would grow our faith and trust in you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Church, I love you and I love being in the church with you and I look forward to taking communion with you in just a few minutes. Bye, all.